Hello, Coffin Bond listeners. Welcome back to Podcast 12. I'm here with Big T. Now, look, I will get to this story a little bit later with the Big T, but I am here with Tony. Uh, we want to say the feedback again, fantastic, especially with Kate's. I think it's probably the most feedback we've had. Um, Tremendous feedback. Yeah, and, and people, it's really sort of touched the nerve with a few people and in a good way. So um, today, though, we're talking tech in the investment world. Um, Tony did speak at the recent conversation series about this, so we wanted to get this out to people that sort of weren't there and, and able to touch on that for them to, to have a listen. So, Tony, welcome. Thank you, Jamie. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, after that first part of that introduction, I'm not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking forward to getting to that part. But, Tony, let's look at the, the investment world and, and technology. Um, we There's... I guess a lot of areas that we can go into, but we're going to sort of focus on one bit of technology um, and the way that we're using that and, and in our day-to-day business. But how do we look at our investments on a global scale? We'll sort of start with that. Yeah, I think the first thing is, is when it comes to investing, we don't have a hometown bias like the majority of uh, planning firms might out there have. So we invest based on the fact that if we think there's value in the market, Um, and we don't really care where that value actually comes from. So as an example, if that value is being shown in the uh, Japanese market, we might have a higher allocation there, or if it's it's in the utility sector in Europe, we'll have a higher allocation there, or like when Trump got into power and all the healthcare stocks in the US dropped dramatically, we went from having a zero exposure in the US to nearly, I think a 3%, which rose to about 6% exposure, in US healthcare, which accompanies well-known brands likes of Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, etc. So um, so that's based when it comes to asset allocation, we do look globally when we don't have that hometown bias. Yeah, a, a good example, and I'll get you to go over the numbers here now, uh, is, is the Australian top 10. So when we compare it to a global top 10 and just yeah. the shift since 2008. I think if we, if we look at the Australian top 10, say for a 10 year period since 2008, and if we have a look at just prior to the uh, 2000, and, uh, the tech, not the tech rec, sorry, the God, it's to show my age now, that was 2000, <laughs> nearly 20 years ago now. Uh, if we're talking about the global financial crisis known as the GFC um, back in 2008, you had just prior to that, the largest company in Australia was BHP Billiton. Now it had a market capitalization of $184 billion. And if you consider at that stage, it was worth, the shares were selling for $44 each. Now, at that stage, we wouldn't have any exposure to BHP. It was just too expensive. It was, it was too expensive by double. Uh, so we just didn't regard, and its dividends at that stage were abysmal as a percentage form uh, basis because the share price was just so overpriced. If you look 10 years later, you know, 2018, BHP, once again, was still the largest company in Australia with a market capitalization now though of 122 billion. So it had actually dropped $62 billion in market cap at that stage. But in saying that drop, its share price is currently trading, 2019 obviously know now, but it's currently trading about $34 a share. Back in 2018, it was down as low as $24 a share. Now, we bought in at $14 when it was no longer the biggest company in Australia, it was ranked about seventh. Uh, so drop from one to about seven. No one wanted a fourteen dollars. It was paying us something like a seven percent or eight percent dividend at that stage, and that was unheard of in a resource stock. So, 
we had about 1% of our portfolio in BHB and at about 18 to $19 we, we sold out because it was just got to the stage where it was becoming too overpriced again. Now, people have pushed that back to $34 and we just see that on a global scale as one being a ridiculous price for BHP. I mean, we have some small exposure to it. Yeah. I'm not saying we have no exposure, it's, but it's on a global scale, it's certainly very small. Yeah, and taking that hometown bias off. So do you want to compare that, I guess, to the way the US has changed? Within actually, the last I'll, I'll just mention one other thing about the hometown bias. The top 10 stocks in Australia, if you actually go back uh, 2008 to 2018, realistically, the only major difference in there is where people are actually ranked. And you have Macquarie now coming in in the top 10, and the only one that's fallen out is Woodside. So still, basically, it's bank-heavy. Uh, then retail heavy with Woolworths um, and West Farmers, and then you got BHP. Uh, so it hasn't changed for over the space of the ten years. So then you're, you're talking about global or US or well, let's go US. Let's okay, go so, US. okay, so okay, so if we talk US, you go back to 2008. The largest company in the US market uh, was Exxon, uh, which obviously was an oil company uh, that was founded in around about the 1870s. You got uh, General Electric or GE. Uh, you know, Eureka, this light bulb moment. So, um, and you know, that was late 1800s. Uh, that company was founded. They both had market caps of about 490 and 350 odd billion, respectively. So, about on that basis, about twice the size uh, to two and a half times the size of BHP. In respect to those companies today, looking 10 years later, Exxon has a market cap of $100 billion less than what it had in 2008. Uh, the only real tech stock in there at that stage uh, was Microsoft, which was ranked number three, as a three hundred thirteen odd billion uh, before the crash happened, before yep. the GFC happened. And let's think of other ones. You got, um, I think Apple back in two thousand eight would have been ranked at around about fifteenth, and Amazon I think was about eightieth uh, in respect to the U.S. market in respect to the size. So. The thing is, in 2018, you're now tech heavy. So you got Apple's the largest company in 2018 in the world. Uh, you got Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, pretty much in that order. Then you got Berkshire Hathaway, uh, which is an investment. We, we all know Warren Buffett. So it was ranked sixth in 2008 and sixth in 2018. Its market cap's gone from 200 billion to nearly 500 billion. So if you have a look at the difference in sizes, you have the US market that has gone up dramatically, but you've got all these new companies that are now heavy in the top five uh, in the US and on a global scale, pretty much the top five. Um, they weren't in existence. So if you, if you were just Australian-centric, in 2008 to 2018, the Australian ASX 200 index actually hasn't risen. Yeah. It's still below where it was in after the... Uh, at its peak of 2008, the US market's gone up three times. It's got new stocks that are in there, which realistically were smaller stocks, still large, you know, you say compared to the Australian market, but were smaller stocks uh, back 10 years ago. That's where we've seen the rise, and the rise in what you're getting to here, Jamie, is that the rise has actually been in the tech industry, and Australia just doesn't have that. Yeah, so people ask, I guess, I guess there's a lot of new, there's, there's, movies and everything out there and everyone's reading the information of these tech startups you know starting in the garage and then look at them now how do we get our exposure to them do we chase them no no absolutely not i i am I'm, I'm not a gambling man as you know so it's uh except 
when it comes to football with you. I'm just being, <laughs> that just means I just donations. Your, I just part money with you, do you? Um, the, the short answer is no. I mean, we all hear about those startups, you know, Facebook in a university dorm and, and you've got Apple and you've got Microsoft in regards to, um, you know, starting in a garage, uh, basically. And, and these stories do happen. But when you consider that, I think it's 93%, but definitely over 90%, of venture capitalist money actually fails. So these are looking at startups, and some of these startups become big, but for the last 10 years, realistically, all the startups have tried to do is copy what is already in existence. So you're not going to create another Facebook, and you know, what was the original, the, what Facebook copied, my, MySpace? My, MySpace. <laughs> so it's, um, I'm sure you young millennials can tell me what the names are, but. Yeah, MySpace was non-existent and uh, Facebook came out and was marketing, you know. So the, the difference is, though, a lot of the companies that you see today, with probably the exception of, well, no, even Amazon, they're, they're actually different to what the original models were. So Google is different than what the original model of Google was. Amazon was originally about selling books online. Now it just sells anything online, you know, so and it's obviously a global player. Um, you know, Apple have a look where it's it's made all its money has been on the back of the iPhones. Uh, so not necessarily on the back of the Macintosh, but basically on the back the of I, the, the iPod. The iPod was well sold as well. Oh, the iPod was the original. Uh, what made a difference, the thousand songs in your pocket. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, you guys don't know what I'm talking about when I say Discman and Walkman. Yeah, I had a Discman. Yeah, I would have had a Discman and a Walkman. I reckon just inherited off your yeah. father. <laughs> so it's... Uh, but I think, I think the key of what I'm getting at is that innovation is we don't go around saying we've, we've found the next potential winner and we're going to invest in that and that $10,000 investment is now going to be worth you know $100 million yeah. uh, come 15 years later. So, But how we do get into those is if those companies make it, if those companies are going to be supported by the general public, Basically, if we have exposures to the S&P 500 index, these companies will get into the S&P 500 index. And as per they grow, classic example of Amazon, you have 10 grand in Amazon 10 years ago. So if that was 10 grand in your portfolio, it's 120 grand today. It's actually doubled in value every two and a half years since 2008. So there's the example of, would we have invested in Amazon at the start? No, I remember Amazon before the tech red had a PE ratio of about 2,000. It was just insane. No way, no could we invest in at that stage. But if we invested in the index and we had, you know, a million dollars in the index and 10,000 of that, uh, so 1% was exposed to Amazon, yeah, that's now the largest company on any given day in the top three largest companies in the world. And we've had exposure, we've had exposure to it through all its gains and all its crashes, yep. as an example. So that's how you take the risk out of the portfolio and finding these stocks they will find you just by virtue of having exposure to the index. Yeah, so it's not. I guess our whole portfolio is not built around the index, but we also no, we, no, we, we definitely it's have part some, of though. Yeah. Um, and even the tactical asset allocation will still have some exposure uh, on an international basis to those stocks as well. It's just on the international basis we throw in the competitors to Amazon and the competitor to Facebook being say out of China, yep. Tencent and Alibaba, which are actually in the top 10 global stocks in the world now yeah. over the space of like seven or eight years. It's just 
been incredible. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Well, that moves me on to let's talk about the piece of technology that I I introduced at the start, but it's what Vanguard's come up with. Um, You sort of presented on this, but I I like the, the idea multiplier. Do you want to discuss this? Yeah, well... The ID multiplier, what, what they've actually done is they've put together a, um, a program uh, and the algorithm they've built is they've put 2.2 billion books that have been written since the early 80s on a whole range of different subjects, but all based on innovation and the potential next big thing. And what they've actually done is they've been able to find trends of basically from when something was first discussed to you see that coming out around about five years later and in that coming out around about five years later uh, basically you then see start to see the innovation and the internet was obviously the first big one so that was first touted in the very early 70s about all computers actually being connected and they predicted but by 1980 or the mid 1980s all computers will be connected now the internet as we know today was first started getting worked on in the 80s was actually invented in um, around about 84 I think 383 yeah 83 so so the basis of that though is that's when the next boom happened and the next boom happened is how do you monetize how do you monetize this so how did you monetize the internet classic is selling things online who did that the best amazon uh, so that that's just as a an, as an example so that was, and then the next wave of innovation, of course, we saw the social media platforms, we saw, uh, which, was, which came on the back of that. One of the most interesting things though, Jamie, is a lot of the things that have been invented have been invented on the back of fun. Somebody invented something out of fun, and that's gone on to what we see actually today. Uh, so for example, algorithms, interestingly enough, first started back basically when caveman made a flute out of a dinosaur's bone. So the idea of actually pumping something in and get something out, and now that's innovated obviously over tens of thousands of years yeah. there. Um, this algorithm doesn't go back that far. <laughs> but, it's, um, but the basis behind this is that what they do is they, what are then the future trends? And we, we've had 10 years of basically nothing where the ideas to what has come out, the ratio has usually been about 40 to 1, where you think, okay, we're on the cusp of something. We then went to 200 to 1. That cusp, of course, we've got social media, um, we've got iPhones, we've got all, which was the next uh, set of technology that came in. And then, of course, now, for the last 10 years, we've basically had nothing, but all of a sudden, over the last four years, we've now shot to 400 to 1 which means we're on the cusp of the next big thing. So according to this, the areas of the next what, big well, yeah, thing... What are the next big things that we're going to be looking at? Oh, individual companies, I wouldn't have a clue. But the, one of the major things there is, of course, uh, telecommunications and sensors. And we're not talking about Telstra and Ring and Mum. You know, we're talking, which I should do, by the way, I haven't done that for a while. <laughs> so it's, um, what we're talking about is sensors, things that are embedded in, in your skin. Um, the, the old Google glasses you know, that we're actually seeing now and actually eventually having that embedded where it's it's thought you have automatically comes up with the response. So these are the things that we're looking at over the next 10 years, polymers and materials, um, simple things like, you know, building 3D printed office complexes, uh, affordable housing. Uh, first major uh, affordable housing went up in China, which was like 80 stories basically made from uh, polymers and materials that were 3D printed. 
this test-sided technology is now be, being looked at, being put into Chicago for affordable housing in South Chicago, etc. So th these are the type of things where we're looking at over the next 10 years, agriculture, plant size, batteries, oncology, uh, genetics. So they're the big areas of looking at. Once again, individual companies, we couldn't tell you. Uh, but when those companies do make it and make it big, we will have exposure through it, through our tactical asset allocation, plus also uh, through our index approach that we have, yeah, which I is conservative. You know, so we're not saying we're going to put you know, a big bet on Facebook when Mark Zuckerberg's in a room trying to pick up girls. We're talking about um, once it is something big and people are backing it and supporting it, we will have exposure through those conservative ways of investing. Yeah, and I think that's the way we're always looking at our portfolio to, to you know, mitigate the risk. Absolutely. Um, but, but also have exposure where we can get that growth at, at all times. Yep, absolutely. All right, so we'll move on to the second part of our conversation series. Uh, we had Mary Henderson, who was absolutely fantastic. Feedback but, was sensational. Yeah, yep. talking about personal branding. And we've actually got a... Um, an upcoming podcast with a client of ours, but his daughter's been doing a lot of social influencing through things like Instagram. So I want to get your thoughts on the different types of advertising these days. So we're talking technology, but I guess ways of marketing, these influencers, you used to be able to market, but now this is done through social media platforms and people's own destiny is in their hands, I guess. Absolutely. Um, your, your own advertising brand nowadays, if you actually do it correctly. So Mary was talking about that personal branding and that's advertising uh, within a company. So as an example, if Kafka and Bond went and put out a post, it might have X amount of traction. Jamie Arden goes and does that post on behalf of Kafka and Bond. Goes out to my 40,000 followers. That's right. So <laughs> no. That's, that's 40,000 on a bad weekend, yeah, Jamie, yeah. for you. So it's a, but basically, there's something, something, Mary, I think the figure was something like 540% more exposure through the personal branding, through your own influence that you have, uh, than over somebody following, say, the Kafka and Bond page, as an example. So... I think, you know, we had just in here, you know, an hour ago, uh, the founder of Osterio, yeah. uh, who's a great client of ours. And if you consider, you know, back in the day, he had advertising people, ringing up people like me, saying, do you want to spend $4,000 uh, to do, you know, five 30-second five uh, commercials that is pepper gun approach or spray gun approach, basically, out to everyone and hope people ring up the pick up the phone and ring you or billboards and things like that. When people can now use that technology and companies are chasing them yeah. to say, hey, I want to advertise through you. Yeah, so you, t you, you mentioned earlier Leo, who owns Just Tea Towers, great client of ours. Now, his daughter, Clara, is a social influencer and she's, you know, got 15,000 followers um and and she and you know legitimate followers as well and, and you have a look at that and she goes and says here's a brand that i've been given that i use here's the lipstick the red lipstick that i use and people comment and people follow that you know so she has she has got that brand and she sells herself really well now she's also you know i think second year is law student at the same time so you know she she's looking at all areas but that's the advertising that's advertising to the market that they want 15,000 people follow what Clara wears and what lipstick she wears or what handbag she has or what shoes she's wearing. So that is direct marketing to their demographic that they want to choose because you're not going to have, you know, a 70-year-old man um, saying, well, look at the shoes Clara's wearing, but they're not following her unless they're perps, you know, yeah. but they're, they're basically not following her. They're they're there and all her demographic are the people that they want to sell to. 
That is just perfect advertising. Yeah, and that's yeah. using technology to get to where you want your target audiences. Absolutely. So it's, um, I mean, people who follow me on LinkedIn uh, follow me for a reason. You know, people who, I did a big Facebook colours, you know, at the beginning of this year because I just had too many people <laughs> I wasn't interacting with, so I halved it. It's still down to about 500. But the basis is, is they're the people I actually want to interact with. Yep. And I'm happy to interact with, and I'm happy for them to know what goes on in my life. Now, this is where we get onto the exciting news. Are people following you on Instagram? Because now, I don't want to creep anyone out with this, but you've been having conversations with a few young men in a sauna, um, and they've come up with a nickname. That sounds terribly, yeah, cre- that and, sounds terribly creepy. And it's getting worse, and they've come up with the nickname. You said, you've now, apparently you've had this for 30 years, and there is people that call you, but you, you've jumped back on board with the nickname, The Big T. Not the big T, oh, just big, big T. Just big T. So a <laughs> uh, younger generation you've met in the sauna and now calling you big T. Give me some background, please. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's in the background was we just started this podcast series. Um, these two young guys, uh, Mr. 97, his actual name's Mason. Uh, he's the producer of the podcast of the Daily Talk Show uh, with Tommy and Josh. Great. You know, it's got a great podcast there. And he was speaking to his mate Andre, uh, commonly known as the Coconut Club, because uh, they put coconut oil in their hair. But the basis behind it was they were talking about the podcast and what they're doing, etc. And I was just sitting there and I was speaking to Big Vin. <laughs> so, but I was picking up on their conversation. I think we were a podcast number three at that stage. Yeah. Um, and the next day I saw them in the gym, or the, a couple of days later I saw them in the gym, back in the sauna again introduced myself, said I was interested in your conversation on podcasts. Uh, Mr. 97 had gone and left university. They called him Mr. 97 because that was his uh, VCE results. So he's a smart kid, obviously. But um, they told me what the podcast was. Um, I looked at, I'd actually heard of it. Um, I looked it up, listened to a few of them. And yeah, they're, they're fun podcasts, but they, they get out to a great demographic. So yeah, again, so, it's using that different types of technology to reach the demographics that you want. Absolutely, and you know, it was it was interesting that I was speaking to Clara uh, today, and I mentioned that the guys from the Daily Talk Show uh, would like to meet with her because they were there on Tuesday as well, and she said, "Oh, I actually I actually listen to them. I already follow them, and I listen to them every so often." So wasn't it interesting that the producer of the show was actually sitting next to her? They didn't introduce themselves to each other. And this, Mason, is where I say follow-up is important. But they didn't actually introduce themselves to each other, yet she already follows the podcast that he's part of and yeah. that he speaks there. So, But I think the idea is, and what we're getting at, is that they have a social following. Their podcast is really good. It's, you know, it, it's fun. Uh, they have fun four days, well, they have fun five days a week um, on it, but they have some great guests on there too. And, you know, people like Seth Rogen, uh, people like, you know, Jules Lund um, and his business Tribe, uh, which is basically bringing big brands in with social influencers. So um, they, they've had some, you know, uh, Craig Harper, uh, great motivational speaker, swears like a drunken sailor, but great podcast at the same time. So this is that direct marketing that we have now where people say i like what jamie arden has to say i'm going to follow him if jamie arden says cadbury chocolate is great i'm going to buy cadbury chocolate you know so and that's that's what this is so it's direct marketing to your 
to your demographic and who you want to listen to. So yeah, well, so it's, the story about Big T is not as creepy as it sounds. <laughs> yeah, no, I hope. <laughs> I, I liked how I set it up. Though I was pretty happy with that. Well, considering <laughs> these boys are younger than my kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, but great young guys and great podcast. You got to follow it if you don't, guys. The Daily Podcast. Tony, thank you very much for today. Uh, it sort of it went in. It, few different ways but we just wanted to show the different ways technology is used in the world the different ways we're personally using it um, and we want to touch on our conversation series so that people that weren't there can understand you know the different conversations that went on there yeah no thanks uh thanks for this today it was a great one and uh look forward to talking to you all next week i'll talk next week <laughs> and then i'm off to the u.s for a few days so you have to put up with someone else you are i might have to get someone else in the chair when's paul back uh, he's back a week before me. Oh, I think might, so. might be me. Paul might Willow. be back we'll in the see, big chair. We'll see who's going. <laughs> All right, thank you. Thanks, guys.